This week's episode of Probably Science is brought to you by HelloFresh. For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com and enter Probably 30. Probably Science. Hey everyone, welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. There's Andy Wood. Wood. Hello, hello. Hey, uh, let's get straight into this because we've got another speedier episode this week. You'll see already that the time code on this episode is shorter than average. You know what? I feel like if I were a listener, I'd be like, this is the one to listen to first. Yeah, we're going to power through with a superb Mm -hmm. guest from England, apparently. All the way from the Queensland. It's Chris Turner. Hey, Chris. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me on this Thanks. super special, densely packed episode. Thanks for coming. You're a, you're a surprisingly angular man. I just noticed you had you, you had your elbows up there. Like, I don't know how you even bend to that direction. I, I, one of the most common things I get told after I come off stage, not, you know, you're funny, is you're much taller than I thought you would be. And it's like, hmm. like who's watching a comedian just being like, I wonder how tall I get. They are. I get people tell me that I'm shorter than they thought. Like, I get there's something about being on stage that I think makes everyone assume that oh, that's an that's, average height it's person, the natural level. And then yeah. when we each step off the stage and come head to head with, or head to. Yeah. other body parts chest or yeah. lower so i mean i've been reviewed as gangly and lanky um yep. angular i like yeah. they always seem quite derogatory <laughs> i think angular is a fairly neutral statement angular seems uh complimentary in a way almost like it's more artistic it's like a bowie yeah uh, yeah i feel like yeah. a kind of craft work right music video yeah. extra yeah. or something do you play a synth ever do you play- um i used to oh, okay. i used to i used to play a bit of synth but um not in kind of robot rock style right, right. Uh, yeah just to make weird noises and textures because oh, i was cool. a disciple of lamont young i don't know who lamont young is experimental composer oh. i think the longest song in the world that's ever played is currently being played which is a slowed down lamont young song which is basically just an organ that's making one chord change every three or four years no way <laughs> who's doing that <laughs> so i think a church in europe somewhere maybe germany or somewhere how do they define if the song, if air stops going through the organ, will they lose the record, or is that a rest? Oh, I don't the, know. Because what if the song? Has... Well, no, yeah, because you know, there are rests in it. Right, so, like, right. yeah, and I think at the moment it's only been alternating between. I mean, this is I was into this ten years ago, oh, but okay. it's probably the same note that's still being played. I like to think we're all playing a song in the symphony of life right now. Is that oh, fair? fucking California? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Chris, we like to ask our guests this before we get into the stories for the week. What, if anything, is your background in science? Uh, I studied archaeology and anthropology at Oxford Ooh. University. Got Ooh. my degree in that. Um, it's a master's because all Oxford degrees after five years are automatically upgraded to a master's, which is three. Three. three I mean, yeah, it's like nine terms <laughs> after matriculation. You have to not have gone to prison or gone bankrupt, I believe. Yeah, and it's super cheeky because I think 50% of city firms in london don't understand that that's uh that's actually what it means they just go wow they've got a master's brilliant in it's, three years it's super cheeky so you um, really didn't do what? any kind of thesis or extra thing that got that no no i think they just say that it's because we're so smart that we just automatically get it it's like a reunion it's a free reunion what do you mean like you sort of basically like a school reunion you just yeah. get to go back and Pick see the up. friends you were with and have another little ceremony for for your masters yeah yeah. Wait, you're saying That's what it was. I was Cambridge, but it's the same deal, and you just... It was just... You have a master's? Technically. Oh, I never knew that. But, I, but, but again, only technically. Literally, I graduated with a BA. Uh-huh. And you BS? have like, and you have a graduation. What's that? Not a BS? The, the, no, the systems no are BS different over there, yeah. Uh, and, it, and it just... 
you get a BA for every degree, yeah. every undergraduate degree. Okay. It's three years. You get a BA at the end. Like you have a ceremony with the robe and everything, and mm-hmm. you get the certificate. And then three years later, go back again and just meet up with all your friends and have a dinner and you have another little ceremony, which my parents insisted on coming to, even though I was like, <laughs> and buying the photo and everything. I was like, you, you know, I've done, so I've done oh, nothing for this. I've literally done nothing. All I had to do, I think, was pay like a nominal amount. It was something like 30 pounds I had to yeah. pay. Right, right. And I got a second certificate. And if I was someone who was in any kind of field of work where my qualifications mattered, I would get to put MA after my name rather than BA. As Wait, it is, I've never done either of do my you life. not? Because in the States, they read out your credits before you come on stage. Do you not get them to read that out? Oh, yeah, I get them to do my full <laughs> resume. Uh, he worked for a Christmas season in uh, the Harlequin Center, John Lewis. Yeah, veteran of two years on the, on the checkouts at Tesco. Yep. Uh, <laughs> that was me. That's another background in science. I worked at um, a Tesco in a very violent area. Oh. So uh, <laughs> once um, just <laughs> a guy broke into our store by smashing down a window with a claw hammer but it's a 24 hour Tesco so you so could have just still, walked in with a claw you could have still just walking yeah. walk like you could have just the door is open <laughs> but so we just called the police because we were like he's trying to break in uh, did he not notice the lights and people I think he just thought it's going to be obvious if I go in with a hammer so it's just it was reinforced glass so it took him a lot longer than he thought <laughs> so it was going to be still just banging yeah <laughs> so my background is science a man is very slowly breaking into yeah. this yeah where there's a door yeah. did you ever uh, have to collect shopping carts in the parking lot um, no I didn't The genuinely the guy who did that was a mentally handicapped man oh, okay that's um, what I used to do yeah. that, really <laughs> <laughs> it's 16. I wonder why I recognized you. Yeah, Andy. yeah. I, I I was gonna apply some science to that because I would try to break my own record for how many carts I can have in a train and still control it. And, and also it. how many cars you scrape paint. Yeah, off. Well, there was a lasso. There was like a carabiner at the end of a rope, and you'd attach that to the front one, and then have the rope going like thirty feet back as you guide like fifty carts. Oh. And it, even with that rope, it still gets really snaky. Yeah, that's and super it's, smart though. But I mean, it was unsafe, and I was just trying to break my own record for no reason. And yeah. I'm surprised I didn't hurt more people in objects. I tried to break my scan rate at Christmas. You got paid oh. extra according to how fast you scan items. And so you'd say, can I help you with your packing? And they'd be like, no, I can pack myself. And I'd be like, oh, 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 I don't think you can. And just stop firing them through. Like if you shop at Trader Joe's, they do that there a yeah, lot. They're yeah. just like, they pile all up and get the next one. You're like, I haven't packed, but I would just like, just ping cans oh, of beans down the being, side. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Cause they get yeah. paid based on speed. How sciencey is the archeology span part of the degree? Um, you can super specialize. It's a bit, it's not as similar as the Cambridge degree because anthropology and archaeology there, you specialize like in just one subject, whereas you always have to have some Arcanant throughout the whole course at Oxford. But I specialize more in anthropology, so actually not that much science. My most scientific thing was my first year paper that I wrote where I um, reassembled carbonized fig pips and olive stones from the sewers of Herculaneum. Ooh. So because when the volcano erupted everyone's shit got carbonized uh-huh. so preserved these fig pips and olive stones that were in the toilets because the toilets were also the garbage disposal in the kitchen and then i reassembled them so i spent two weeks counting and reassembling things uh that was that was super sciencey and super that cool is. uh it yeah, sounds boring no but it doesn't no, sifting through ancient shit that yeah <laughs> we figured out like how many pit, uh, figs the average roman ate on how the could day you tell died. how many like what a serving size was for a Roman shit. So you, well, so yeah, you figure out. You're like, how many figs? How many pips are in a fig? How many pips are in this pile of shit? 
Right. Oh, they had four figs. But I'm saying there were distinct piles where you could tell that was one servant. Um, one yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Pretty much because it was the only the the last bowel movement that had been left because it been they'd been washed away regularly. I think. Oh, okay. I think I. I mean, this was I was bad at my degree. <laughs> That's why I'm in comedy now. But it was. I have a very similar story. <laughs> I got two one. Okay, you beat me. I got fifty nine point five, and they rounded it up. Uh, <laughs> what do these numbers mean? Fifty nine point five should be a two two, but what is a two two? Uh, the degree that Matt got, presumably. Yeah. So the, the, for some reason, it goes a first is the like basically the sort of the equivalent of an A, and then oh. there's an upper and a lower second, which gets called a two one or a two two, and then there's a third, which is called the gentleman's degree. Oh, okay. Because that would be what people who went to Oxford and Cambridge just to be gentlemen. Gentlemen like of Hugh, pleasure. Hugh Laurie, <laughs> the most famous Arcananth student, he got a third because he spent all his time rowing. Ah. So if you were just like, uh, is, th- is there a lot of the legacy thing where if your parents were in... I don't you, think, not anymore. think no, so, not anymore. no. I, it's definitely... That, that even still I'm exists sure, in the US. I'm sure that does exist, but not officially, and it's not meant to exist. Yeah, and that's yeah, yeah. much more like whether you're going to get into certain societies there, like oh, the okay. drinking clubs, and also that's a bit mm. more like private school, kind of Eton and Harrow, I think. Like, I'm sure... I, I, it definitely does still exist that there's the old boys network, and right. I'm sure people can... You know, have a word with a master of the college and that I'm sure that shit does right, exist right, right, right. but it's not like in American colleges where you, it's actually known that if you are legacy if you're or if your parents if your parents enough money yeah exactly why do you uh why does this really stupid student share a surname with a library right. <laughs> <laughs> that Simpsons episode with uh was it Roddy Dangerfield I think oh yeah Sort of like a back to school thing. I was like, what would it, what would it require for us to let him in the school? I was like, well, we'd have to uh, build an international airport. <laughs> um, did you ever see Seven Up, the the Up series? I never watched that. No. Okay. This is one of those things we have talked about many times on the podcast. And a listener just wrote in who binged through six years of our podcast and started talking about how every time we ask if we've discussed something before, yes, at least the third time we've discussed. It. <laughs> but there are three kids in there who who they they picked because they were part of that track of like the elite Londoners, and they they knew at age seven that which not even like Oxford or Cambridge, but like they knew they were going to be at Trinity Hall or whatever. And then like fast forward. 14, 21 years, that came true. Like, they, yeah. they knew right. at seven what they wow. were going to be, and they were. Yeah, there's definitely, even if there isn't the official legacy system, there's all sorts of things that you can do if you have enough connections and money. Yeah. I like, mean, get specialized, go send your kid to a very good pi- private school and get them all the best tuition and get right. help on sending in the applications and all that kind of thing. That yeah, basically yeah. all but guarantee your spot. Right, or right, right. if you want to get into Oxford, do what I do, apply for archaeology and anthropology because it's got a 50% acceptance rate. So it's okay. already it's a coin toss because no one wants to do it. And then when it got, you go to interviews, I met the people who were applying for it. I was like, why are you applying? And they were like, oh, cause it's easy to get in. And I was like, oh, that's my reason, but also at least I actually put work in. Like I yeah. did then research it and go on field trips <laughs> and digs. And so they're like, oh, the last guy is just, yeah, he, he, you know, doesn't even speak the language or whatever. It yeah. was, so it was crazy. We it was asked so the easy previous guy why he wanted to do the subject. He just said, it's a DOS. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you write three essays every two weeks. It's, it's hard work. Like, it's not computer science, which is just, you see the problem sheets they get. And I'm like, I don't even, that's not even written in English. Yeah, I just found my old, um, floppy disks from college when I was back in Portland going through some boxes at my friend's house and I'm going to see if I can get at those old computer science programs I don't know if maybe the magnetic I'm guessing 20 years of 
sitting around it means like a floppy disk probably won't be readable but i don't know see if i can get into it I don't know how long they, those things keep for if they're stored relatively. I well, imagine I the people who made them were like, this technology is going to last forever. <laughs> yeah, no. um, you know, I, w- I wasn't going to do this story, but this is sort of... Um, this is Ark, Ark and Anthe. Um, the Amish? No, I was, oh. well, I, we can do that as well, but it, this isn't even in the document, Andy. This is oh, how much I'm jumping a wow. story on you. The world's oldest wine... Mm-hmm. Found in eight thousand year old jars in Georgia. Hang on, I'm going to put a link oh, to it at the fun. top of the document here. It's there for you, Andy, if you want to click on it. Excellent. Um, scientists say eight thousand year old pottery fragments have revealed the earliest evidence of grape wine making. The earthenware jars containing residual wine compounds were found in two sites south of the Georgian capital. Researchers say some of the jars bore images of grape clusters and a man dancing. Uh, I wonder if that man had a tie wrapped around his head. <laughs> what was the uh, early Georgian version of a lampshade? That yeah. Would have been, yeah. That man... <laughs> There's also evidence that the man was wearing that vase, yeah. <laughs> that jar, later. And uh, previously, the earliest evidence was 7,000 years ago in northwestern Iran. Um, we believe, says co-author Stephen Batiuk... Uh, from Toronto University that this is the oldest example of the domestication of a wild-growing Eurasian grapevine solely for the production of wine. Wine is central to civilization, as we know it in the West, as a medicine, social lubricant, mind-altering substance, and highly valued commodity. Is there anything wine can't do? Wine became the focus of religious cults, pharmacopias. I don't know what that word even means. Any... Any... Insight? Uh, I just know that as there's a Vice show, Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia. Oh, medicine. That, basically, uh, an official, a book, an official publication containing a list of medicinal drugs with their uh, effects okay. and directions for their use. So it became the focus of religious cults, pharmacopias, uh, cuisines, economies, and society in the Near East. Uh, the pottery jars were discovered in two Neolithic villages uh, called Gadrakrili Gora and Shulaveris Gora. Uh, which are both uh, about 30 miles south of uh, Tbilisi. Uh, Tbilisi. Tbilisi. Is that Tbilisi. how you pronounce it? Come, that's, that's my input. Tbilisi. Got the degree, but it's just the pronunciation Beautiful. of the Georgian capital. It's Tbilisi? It's Tbilisi. Tbilisi. Okay. It's, I, I, a while back, I wrote a, a jokey hashtag rap where I had loads of rhymes, um, and Tbilisi was one of them. I'm trying to think of what I can rhyme with Tbilisi right now. It was a uh, stack paper for my family, Medici, do my shit online, BBC Three, Capital of Georgia, Tbilisi, uh, Mother of the Dragons, Khaleesi. Khaleesi. <laughs> oh, it was, it was, hashtag rap's great, because yeah. <laughs> it's just like, boo 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 Yeah, um, uh, love sipping on fur, Vietnamese. Oh, I know, like it, like that it. That kind of stuff. We should mention that you have a sideline in uh, <laughs> a side line in rapping rap. as well. The car on the way here, the guy picked me up and he was like, hey, your music's playing. And I was like, well, on my headphones, he's like, no, it plays your music on the car, which I didn't oh. realize. And it was not my music. Like, I don't know what it was oh. playing. And I'm like, you can switch it to yours. And he goes, oh, cheers. And he plays this track and it was a new Juicy J track. And Juicy J is a very over the top rapper. Mm-hmm. And it was just full of the N word. And he was like, I was like, this feels weird <clears throat> because we're both very white. And, <laughs> and like, it was like a minute and I was like, I was feeling uncomfortable. And then yeah. he goes, oh, I don't know if you like rap, but like, I really like rap. Like, I was always the only white guy hanging out in the ghetto. And I was like, well, this conversation is already very awkward. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that's interesting because I am a rapper. And he was just silent for the longest time. And I was like, 
I'm not joking. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yeah, there's something about the accent. Like, and you also don't want to like not get... I, there's an American thing where we automatically think that you are our betters intellectually. So like, he has to take a second to think, is he fucking with me? And am I the most gullible American <laughs> if that, I act like he's being serious? There's a few comics in the UK circuit who freestyle rap and do that kind of thing. But I think it's particularly startling when Chris does it because it's very unexpected from your general demeanor and appearance mm. and but it was all the more <laughs> yeah and angularity <laughs> but I saw you I saw Chris do a gig in LA once and it is the the surprise is amplified like because it, it's it's definitely substantially more unexpected to add not American into the mix yeah. To an American audience, yeah. I mean, I, I, so I, I freestyle. I take suggestions, and the suggestions I've been getting here are banging. Like back home, I, it, people were just idiots, tits. Yeah, it's that all the time, and I'm like, come on, guys, at least give me mammary glands. But here, I, I even like just a Monday night gig I was doing. It was like 11 when I was on stage, and this guy's like, the impact of the Syrian refugee crisis on Turkish politics, <laughs> um, in an American accent. And I was see him into like a BBC correspondent. Yeah, we've had like. A, um, actually, we had the Medici family was a suggestion for one. Osteoporosis, Titanic from the captain's point of view. These were all like the last week. That's great. And I Wait, love how you, these how are you seeding these? How are you trying to, how are you, how are you soliciting? Uh, so I just asked them, I say, give me suggestions. No food, no animals, nothing obvious and easy. Because you said no, okay. And I was then wondering I, why it isn't the usual food Yeah, stuff, well, it's because I, I also, I list suggestions that I've had in the past that I like. Yeah. Like ninth century crop rotation. Okay. Geographic sinkhole ro- So location. people know to go convoluted. And people yeah. go, oh, I'll get him. Um, yeah. So, then, so yeah. if someone was like, you know, Georgian wine, it's like that's brilliant. Tbilisi. Yeah. yeah. Used to call me a sleaze because he used to hang with Easy. There we go. Right. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. What that's from, but that popped. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, e- easy, easy. E be. Uh, I mean, but it's someone else in NWA. I guess it would have been. Uh, oh, presumably Dre or, or Cube. Cube. Is it? Uh, is it today was a good day? If it, if it was, then because used to hang with Easy. I don't know. Telltale chemical signs of wine were discovered in eight jars. <laughs> The oldest one dating from around 5,980 BC. Um, it's and apparently, you learn in Arcananth, BC and AD are very confusing. We use BP, so before it, present. Really? So basically, yeah, well, so basically, you have to kind of add um, the, 2,000 the years onto any kind of BC to kind of get it. Oh. And it's super confusing because loads that, of different articles use different dates. So it really like, is. I thought, I thought they switched to uh, BCE yeah, before, before the Christian common, era. Yeah, common well, era, common, yeah. Common, yeah. I prefer um, BP because it's just so easy just to go. I mean, obviously that will then so change BP with time. Just basically means a go. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so twelve thousand BP. Right. It's much easier. Makes sense. Uh, so the except for the fact that if you're writing in a document, you then need to know when that document was written because it's because yeah. if it, the document is thirty years old, then you need to add thirty to whatever. Yeah, I don't know. We archaeologists are very kind of rough we're kind of like when that happened uh, between 350 and 300,000 years ago what mate yeah that's the kind of bracket of error we've given okay ourselves. so so anything if it is in archaeology anyway that margin of error of like well this matter. science has only existed yeah. for 100 years so yeah yeah that 100 years leeway makes very little difference so these large jars which are called um quivevri q-v-e-v-r-i yeah similar to the ancient ones are still used for winemaking in georgia uh, the wine was probably made in a very similar way uh, to the method today, where grapes are crushed and the fruit, stems, and seeds are all fermented together. Previously, the earliest evidence of grape winemaking had been found in the Zagros Mountains of Iran and dated from 5400 to 5000 BC. It's a pretty big jump to add another couple thousand on there, a few thousand. 
Yeah. I mean, it's also, I guess, significant as well that you managed to pull it from Iran, who are not the biggest fans of alcohol, not to, anymore, uh, but back in the day. To, to Georgia. The world's earliest non-grape-based wine, though, uh, is, I believe, to be a fermented alcoholic beverage of rice, honey, and fruit found in China and dating to about 7,000 BC. Mm. Always doing things first, aren't they? Yeah. I wonder back then, like, what the if there were any early, like, moralizing, teetotaling subcultures. Well, I'm like, sure there were. There definitely would have been. Like, I, be, I bet... Um, that predates even Judaism, right? When was that? 6,000 years ago? Uh, what were the religions around? It would be around 000? the same amount of time, because yeah. the Jewish New Year... Because uh, every Rosh Hashanah, it goes like, this is the new um, Jewish New Year, and it's, it's in the 5,000s. Hang on. Current... Jewish year. Yeah, I wonder what the history. Uh, no, I, I'm of, thinking uh, that alcohol was around before someone named Rosh Hashanah because that is the most slurred yeah. alcohol <laughs> word ever. Rosh, Rosh Hashanah. So, according to tradition, the Hebrew calendar started at the time of creation, which they placed at 3761 BC. So well, the, that's right. This wine is older than the Earth. So the current, yeah, that's oh yeah, amazing. yeah, it's older than the world existed. It was in the beginning. There was a, a swirling wine in the ether that <laughs> yeah. coalesced and formed planets. So. The, he, the current Hebrew year is five seven seven eight. Oh, I thought it was over six for some reason. It's um, there's a Wikipedia article. Uh, I didn't realize this. I didn't. I never heard of this. According to classical Jewish sources, the year 6000, which I guess is coming up in a couple of hundred years' time, is the final, the latest time for the initiation of the mes- Messianic Age. The latest That's the ti- deadline by which the Messiah must appear. <laughs> so we got 222 years to, to get our shit together. invoke him. Yeah, we got to get our house in order. Start cleaning, yeah. Um, yeah, you know who doesn't drink? I don't think. Maybe the Amish? I think they don't. Do I don't they not know. drink? I, I'm guessing not. That seems like it would be on brand. They certainly do live long. Yes, they, they do. A gene variant that arose decades earlier, a decades ago, in an Amish group seems to be enough to make people live ten times longer, as well as making them less ten likely to develop. Times what? Longer. <laughs> Hold on, so That's why their not, beards are so long. Listen, let not me criticizing. Back, this is a rushed episode. But let, me, should, let me back uh, up this one. Yeah. Uh, can you just uh, dub the word years over the word times there, Andy? I'm, just, I'm not even going to take yours out. I'm just going to yell years over what, yeah. Years. I certainly didn't just say 10 times long. Right. <laughs> yeah, this, I'm surprised no one has noticed yet that this sect <laughs> live to <That's>, 700. <laughs> and you wonder why they, they shun technology. They're yeah. terrified by it. That makes sense. Like, once yeah. you hit 70, you, like, you stop being able to work you can't TV and phones. <laughs> Yeah, they're like, you think your nana is <laughs> is scared of Twitter? <laughs> Imagine, imagine these six hundred and eighty year old Amish people. Uh, they're still scared of the cotton the gin. Cotton gin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I hate when I have to go to my great 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 grandfather's house and have to turn on his cotton gin. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst. <laughs> ah, uh, what is that? Uh, it's, a, it's a wheel. <laughs> that's a wheel. Um, so 10 years this, yes 10 years longer that's still a substantial amount of time although not as substantial as my initial misreading mm-hmm. might suggest oh, that's fine yeah uh, the gene is called serpin, uh, serpine 1 and is known to make a protein that promotes aging known as PAI1 but a faulty variant of this gene arose six generations ago in an Amish group causing the people who carry one copy of its variant to produce half as much of the age promoting protein Researchers wondered if this might be linked to a longer lifespan in those who carry it. So Douglas Vaughan of Northwestern University and his team 
have now studied the gene in 177 members of the Old Order Amish community in Bern, Indiana, to find out if these 43 people carried at least one copy of it. The team analyzed their DNA, as well as other signs of aging, such as insulin resistance, which is linked to diabetes, and the length of the caps on the end of their chromosomes, called... Telomeres. Nice. Yeah. Good, cool. My favorite thing about this is that they definitely did not tell these people what they were going to do with them. Like, we're going to set some blood, centrifuge it, we're going to separate out, we're going to do some chromatography. They were just like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just like, we're going to take a little bit of blood and then we're just going to look at it really close. (laughs) Oh, that sounds fine. (laughs) Where uh, they also worked out which of these 221 dead relatives, uh, which of two would have carried the gene variant and analyzed how long each of these lived. They found that people who carried at least one copy of the gene variant lived on average 10 years longer, dying at the median age of 85. Mm. People with the gene variant also had 30% lower levels of insulin when fasting, which is a sign of slower aging. None of the carriers of the variant developed diabetes, while 7% of those without the variant did. The carriers appeared to be completely protected from diabetes. Uh, this study adds evidence that it will be possible to extend human lifespan and health span, said Brian Kennedy of the National University of Singapore. Uh, the, these telomere chromosome caps were 10% longer in people carrying the variant. These caps shorten every time a cell divides, and short ones are a sign that the body cells are wearing out and aging. Drugs that target PAI1 are already being developed, including one that is hope may prevent or alleviate baldness. There are numerous groups that may benefit from a drug blocking PAI1, says Vaughn. The real takeaway here is, ladies, if you happen to run into an Amish gentleman on Rumspringer and you're feeling amorous, go for it. Because your kids will live longer, right? Yeah. yeah. Go, go but but also they're going to be in your life for a lot longer. Well, also, I feel very... They, it feels like they're wasting it. It's like, I don't know... Like, with all this amazing TV that's around now, right. I'm like, I'm not going to live long enough to see all this great Netflix and Hulu and Amazon. And they get 10 extra years. And they're like, no, the yeah. just going to yeah. look at this field of You're corn. You're going to spend some more time staring at a fire. <laughs> I, I already feel most of my relationship with television is stress right now, is like obligation. Like, I haven't finished Stranger Things and I feel like I have to when I'm not enjoying it anymore. Why can't I just stop watching it? I can stop watching it, right? You can. Oh, so that was, that was a great thing to come out of the Kevin Spacey thing. Because I was like, mm, I don't want to start yeah. this season of House of Cards. I'd watch the first episode. It was yeah. I was like, ah, great. I don't, I don't need to watch yep. it anymore. He's a bad man. So I'm, <laughs> I've now let off my <laughs> obligation to watch a television show. Bad man's one of my favorite words. Honestly. Because when we say it, he's a, he's a bad man. But then a bad man <laughs> is an excellent person in uh, many other cultures. Really? Um, like, like a bad, a bad man, like a rude boy. Oh, okay. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, not like Batman. Um, <laughs> like a superhero it, Batman. It's quite fun to be talking about the Amish because we can say whatever we like about the Amish, can't we? Oh, that's and a good point. Like, and really... like the article could be like, these Amish motherfuckers live 10 years <laughs> yeah. longer. The dumb fucks. <laughs> wow, that scientist really... <laughs> these shitting bearded cunts. <laughs> Hat-wearing motherfuckers. <laughs> Who does advocate for the Amish if you make fun of them? I don't know if anybody would just like write down what you said and deliver it to them so they can write back with their... Uh, You know who does listen to our show, though, um, when we sometimes discuss them on the air? Scientists, some of whose work has actually been referenced in previous episodes. Yeah, yeah. This is is one of my favorite things. So my cover story and then hear from the person who was the lead researcher on it. Yeah, Michael Smout. uh, Dr. Michael Smout, who also then donated money 
so thank you very much for this. Uh, as did Sean Gordon. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. But yeah, th- Michael donated money uh, by going to probablyscience.com and clicking on the donation button, as you can as well. And we oh, always very I'll much appreciate it. that this. right now. Yeah. I can't I, believe he's doing you, it. Thank you, Chris. That's, I feel... Thank you, Chris I feel Turner. so much better. Doesn't um, it alleviate your, uh, your guilt about all this free content you're getting? It yeah. does, yeah. yeah. So Thanks, we, we, did a, we had a story about um, scorpion venom changes in response to predator exposure. Michael says, Hi, I'm part of the team that investigated this, and I'm excited to have our work mentioned on the podcast. We do all sorts of things with tropical animal venoms, and you mentioned our work last time in episode 252. So we mentioned their work twice. Uh, regarding worm spit for healing wounds uh alas some of the more fun aspects of the experiment don't make it to the press release and i think of the experiment having elements of a horror movie uh the student who performed the work alex gangner had no taxidermy experience and so the mouse was dramatic to say the least to give you an idea the taxidermied predator standing in was named stand in was named frankenmouse (laughs) you asked how the venom is collected uh, so here's our answer. Well, basically, to collect the animals, the researchers go out at night into the local rainforest and roam around with black lights. Uh, the scorpions glow under black light, so it makes them easier to track down. As if they had to be any scarier. I know, like, right? Scorpions glow under black light. I never would have guessed that. Who knows? Apparently, yeah, apparently the, um, the rainforest is full of scorpions and businessmen come. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all there is. There's like traveling salesmen's ejaculate. And scorpions all over the rainforest. They call the rainforest the uh, the hotel comforter of the wild. <laughs> That's what they call it. Yeah. Actually, I wasn't here for the previous episode, so I don't know if the jokes are already been done. But uh, when I read the title for Scorpion Venom Change with Predator Exposure, I'm like, well, how do they get them to really understand one of Arnold Schwarzenegger's most underrated action <laughs> films? <laughs> was that joke done last time? I don't know. No, it no, might have been. Like uh, our listener who's no. going through all of the episodes right now, let us know. Knowing yeah. our comedic skill, we probably did. Uh, so... The animals were kept in Tupperware for a few weeks to acclimatize, uh, and then the venom is milked by zapping the stinger with a small amount of electricity, and the minuscule amount of venom, less than five microliters, is discharged into a small tube, um, which is one two hundredth of a milliliter, or one six thousandth of a fluid ounce. Uh, the other fun aspect of the work was prey-based. It involved injecting the scorpions, insect prey, crickets, with venom components, and then determining if the crickets were paralyzed by flipping them onto their backs every 10 seconds with a spatula. <laughs> if the insect writes itself, then it's okay and the venom was not effective. If it remains on its back, then the venom is considered active against insects. What if it's just tired of being flipped and just wants to give just up? done with it, yeah. fucking scientist. Right, fine, I'm going to stay on my back then. If you think that's how If you want to flip me, then you can flip me. Um, in the real world, after evanimation, the scorpion would then rip the paralyzed cricket apart with its claws. But since the predator exposure gave the major results, the aspect was not the focus. But I love the idea of flipping insects for science. <laughs> Uh, and then says some nice things about us, and then says, uh, if we ever make it to Australia as far north as Cairns, which I have in the past, but not since we started this podcast, sadly, we would love to show you around the labs, including the, as it's known, shelf of death. (laughs) It's full of the many toxic Australian animals. I gotta see the shelf of death. Please be aware, we will put you in Tupperware for two to three weeks (laughs) (laughs) and then zap you. Take the world's largest Um, spatula. (laughs) It's, yeah, it's, who, who knew that so much... 
kitchenware was involved in high-level science. It is crazy that these stories leave out... You would think this is the stuff that makes a popular science article more interesting and popular, right? Is like those kind of details. But we have to hear it from the source. We don't get it from the original Tupperware, spatulas, all sorts of kitchen stuff. We twatted it with a whisk. Speaking of which... I notice you're not emaciated like you used to be. No, I was having a real problem getting enough, uh, what's the word for it? Food into my stomach. It is. And you know what? We've been doing a little research into this. It turns out food is one of the main ways people get nutrition. Yeah, top 10. Easy top 10. And one of the best ways to get food Mm -hmm. is with HelloFresh. It's pretty damn easy. It is. I cooked HelloFresh. Here's the deal. Like When you get these adverts, um, they sometimes send you little samples so you know what you're talking about. So you're not just like, ah, I Very presume reasonable. it works. Yeah, yeah. So they sent a box of food and it arrived and it's got like refrigerated packs in there and everything so that it's not rotten by the time you get in there. They thought of everything. Yeah. It comes in a neat little recyclable insulated package. Super convenient. You you went with meat food. You can choose meat or veggie or classic. I'm sorry, classic, veggie, and family are the three plans you can choose from. Yeah. Uh, and I'm veggie and your family. I'm a family. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a family. Uh, yeah, I, here's the thing. I, I made gnocchi. Oh! Yeah? Oh, potato dumplings? <laughs> I, I didn't know that once you've, you, once you've cooked the gnocchi a little bit in the water, mm-hmm. you can then fry it a little bit oh. in butter, a little crunch... That was part of the recipe. It's very easy. It I was, was very say, easy. I, I don't think of you. I think neither of us are particularly handy in the kitchen. Is that I'm actually, true? I'm all right. I'm okay. all right sometimes, although I am careless. Okay, here's something I did. To, this is definitely not on the suggested talking points that okay. the advertiser sent us. There are not I set fire points. to my girlfriend's kitchen <laughs> three days ago. Um, if anyone's wondering about how to do that, the trick is to turn on a different burner to the one that... The, yeah, that's, that works. That does it. Yeah. So what you need to do first is have like a big wooden chopping board that's just left on top of there mm-hmm. and then think, I'm going to make myself a cup of tea and turn what you think is the fire <laughs> underneath the kettle, but instead it's underneath a big piece, piece of wood. wood. <laughs> yeah, so that's something I did. Um. <laughs> I once left a tea kettle on, on high for a good hour, and it turns out water, as it, as it boils, will eventually go away completely, leaving just an empty, super red-hot <laughs> tea kettle. But here's the thing with HelloFresh. Most recipes, really quick and easy. Yeah. Everything I cooked took... The longest, the longest recipe was the risotto. Mm-hmm. That took about 45 to 50 minutes, but that's just because that's how long a risotto takes. Yeah. Uh, and also, never made a risotto before. Came out really I well. Any, I don't know sure what that is. It's sort of a ricey type thing? Yeah, it's like a ricey type a ricey thing. Ricey type thing. <laughs> it's, if you don't eat meat, it's something you quite often have to settle for in restaurants. Yeah, but I yeah, didn't yeah. have to settle for this, for it was delicious. Excellent. I've enjoyed my meat options, and that's also only taken me, yeah, I think usually between like 30 and 50 minutes. Um... And that's even handicapping for my my slowness just in general, like rereading everything to make sure I'm not messing it up. But it's hard to mess up. You have all the pre-portioned ingredients, so there's no waste. It's it's pretty damn easy. Uh, you can pause your account if you're traveling. You can choose a specific delivery day that works best for your schedule. It's, they can they can do whatever you need them to do basically to make sure you get you get the food that you want and uh, yep. you have some fun in the process of making. They do it. all the shopping, planning, and delivery. So all you have to do is hustle, bustle, and enjoy. That's what they told us just then. I don't think I did much hustling or bustling, but I did cook some food pretty simply, and I it was I very bustled. nice. I'm not sure if I hustled. You did some, you did some bustling, and they got holiday recipes as well. Like um, the food we got was sort of, I think, autumnal, mm-hmm. but they're going into full-on holiday meals in a bit. So if yep. you're a meat eater, you're going to get things like 
Uh, Meatloaf a la mom with roasted root vegetables and thyme gravy. I don't know what mom sauce is, but I guess that's what the meatloaf comes in. Figgy pork tenderloin with green beans and rosemary potatoes. Butternut squash and sage risotto for the veggies out there with Parmesan and pepitas. That is exactly the thing I cooked. Oh, nice. That is exactly what I cooked, and it was great. Awesome. Pepitas, so, sunflower seeds. Who knew? Who knew there was a word that for that? I that meant, yeah. Anyway, HelloFresh, if you want to support us, uh, and also if you want to have some quick and easy and nice recipes and you get to feel like you're a full-on cook and you can save those i've been i've saved mine because i'm like oh i'll go make this again yeah that's the best thing about that i i got three meals that i cooked myself but also thought like okay now i know how to do those things now i've got some recipe ideas for our future so go to hellofresh.com and use our offer code which is probably 30 that gets you $30 off your first week, which is a pretty hefty bargain. That so is a chunk of money off. So give it a crack. What have you got to lose? Yep. HelloFresh.com, probably 30 for $30 off your first week. We had another little letter in because we talked a, a few episodes ago about the evolution of homosexuality mm-hmm. and made the point I mean, that... We speculated. We did some like armchair... Uh, we did. Well, yeah. I've, I've read some stuff about it as well. And we were talking about how, you know, the, the Christian argument, like how, why, why, how, can Christ, how can homosexuality have evolved? Because it would evolve itself out. And there are various arguments that it actually is beneficial to the tribe and to the tribe's genes being passed along to have gay people to help, just to help do things and help raise the kids and and find food and so on and do all the sorts of things that involve are you tribe so survival. Are decorate right now? Uh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, a dance. And... Well, I'm glad someone said it, because I was on the couch here being like, come on, guys. Um, Shaka Zulu was a... It's, it wasn't... It was homosexual activity, but I don't think it was homosexuality. Shaka Zulu used to get his warriors to fuck each other between their thighs um, to promote bonding amongst the group. That's uh, This is one of those rumors, and maybe this is going to come out as part of the Me Too. Uh, isn't that what they say Abraham Lincoln was into? Have you heard that? Oh, I think that's, I think that's probably a myth, because that was one of his bedmates said, um, gave a compliment about his thighs, and so oh. people now deduce that. Okay, um, but that it seems a bit urban mythy. Okay, but I mean it's very possible. Um, yeah, it's, I just yeah, I just I know it's, we've it's lost so many heroes recently. To have yeah. to have someone come out about Lincoln right now would be uh, <laughs> nothing wrong with fucking people's it's thighs. Consensual. Yeah, like I, that's a, it's a big thing in Southern Africa, um, where you know with HIV and AIDS, uh, encouraging people having sex to have sex. There's a name for it. Not, I can't remember the actual I, I the, the um, name. Um, but it's got a long and storied history. Um, so it's Chris Nelson wrote in. Moral. Okay. Chris Nelson wrote in to say that may be the case, but that's not the only possible explanation. Uh, I think a useful concept is that of neutral evolution. In a nutshell, that much of evolution, some argue the majority of evolution, happens without a selective pressure. Homosexuality might not be an evolved trait, but rather one that was always present and never selected against strongly enough to evolve a structure to remove it. Mm-hmm. Maybe, bi- maybe biology decided it wasn't worth the fuss. Uh, homosexuality might not be selected against too harshly because gay people still have heterosexual babies that make more babies. Basically, I want to tell you that your grandpa was super gay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Um, but yeah, that is also a very fair point because great gay people even before the modern era where gay people have developed plenty of societally acceptable ways to have kids plenty of gay people had kids in the past just by not admitting that they were gay or keeping it on the dl and still happens now yeah um, very much so in japan study japanese anthropology in japan is an incredibly homophobic society and i remember when i took that class i was the only 
person who wasn't uh, in some part, or as far as I know, wasn't in some part Japanese. And I presented the argument that Japan was a homophobic society. And afterwards, all my classmates were like, Chris, we didn't realize you were gay. And I was like, I'm not. And they were like, well, why would you think it's homophobic? And I was like, I don't think you have to be gay to see that you guys treat gay people badly because it's treated as like a peccadillo. It's like a fetish over there. So, you know, Shinjuku in Tokyo has like the most gay bars of anywhere in the world, like the concentration of gay bars. So dense there. But like they're always hidden and there's no photography allowed at the gay pride parades and you can be gay oh. as long as you also have a wife and have children mm-hmm. and then it's fine to go off and fuck guys as long as you go home and you're like i love you sweetie i love you too straight husband ma, ma, ma. kids 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 yeah it isn't that kind of what's happened in a lot of cultures historically over the centuries oh yeah i'm not i'm, I'm not as an englishman i'm not being like yeah, yeah. hey guys our history is squeaky clean let's yeah. tell you all how to do it uh yeah it's <laughs> weirdly uh so my girlfriend's brother is married to a japanese guy and they met in japan and and used to live in japan together mm-hmm. and again yeah i like i haven't spoken to him that much about what it was like being in japan as a gay couple but my understanding is it's a very safe place to be gay because japan is generally a very safe so you're sort of you're sort of safe but not accepted like they ne- they never felt or yeah. rarely felt at risk of dangerous persecution but at the same time you have to leave like you said it's it's not it's nowhere near as open and yeah i mean japan like they do have pride parades like they met at a pride parade but it's it's nothing like the level of cultural acceptance that it is well certainly i also we live in a liberal bubble here like we're on the west coast we're recording in west hollywood exactly (laughs) yeah i wonder if that changes their sense of like attaching identity to it and if they also separate it as an identity thing and think of it more as a sexuality thing and not you know what i mean like i don't know i will ask and report back yeah japan has so many strange things like there were people in that class who they were like well i'm japanese well i wouldn't be considered japanese by japanese people because i was born outside of japan or because i moved (laughs) out of japan then came back and they're like you can't be true japanese wow um like it's like obviously as well because it's such a kind of still a very homogenous society in terms of appearance like if you are european and you walk around you're tall or red-headed or if you're black and you walk around japan like people just look at you yeah. like they will just stare at you oh and yeah it's, people it's not would take like pictures of me when i was like even just when i was traveling around europe but i was on um like a tram car with all japanese tourists people were like putting their feet next to my feet, taking a picture of the, like the size difference between the feet and stuff. It's like, okay, go enjoy. Yeah. They were actually being horrendously racist towards I mean, you. Yeah, so, probably, yeah. Probably. They were just like, look at this idiot just <laughs> laughing along. But then you get to lord it over your large feet. Right. <laughs> right. I like it. Oh man, I just added a story to the top of the document there that uh, came in from Palestine Beak that I kind of like, if you don't mind. Well, let's do it. Um, monkeys learn to play chicken in a virtual driving game. <laughs> Uh, so Let's mon- do it. Yes. Monkeys. Let's do this freaking story. <laughs> We've been very animal heavy this week, but it I see no bit. problem with that. We'll, we'll get back to space and shit soon. Um, monkeys have something in common with daredevil teenagers, an aptitude for the potentially deadly car driving contest chicken. In the human version of the game, two people drive their cars toward each other down a long straight road. Whoever turns aside first is the chicken. If neither does, there's a head on crash. Uh, four macaques were trained to play a version of this nerve testing game on a computer, getting rewards of fruit juice if they avoid a crash. They were given the most juice if they were the one who didn't give up and swerve. In parallels with human social mores, most more submissive monkeys were more likely to swerve. Hierarchy really matters. Stupid submissive monkeys. <laughs> Hierarchy really matters. Sorry, that was very kink shaming of me. Bit. Yeah. 
says Wei Song Ong of the University of Pennsylvania. It's a bit like James Dean. I don't know about that, but um, <laughs> pairs of macaques played the game while sitting across. You know, all of these monkeys die tragically young. Yes. <laughs> pairs of macaques played the game while sitting across from each other at a tabletop computer screen, smoking Lucky Strikes, oh, no, <laughs> using joysticks to control their cars, as well as watching the progress of their cars on the screen below. Ong's team found that the, the monkeys often looked at each other's eyes. Ooh. Yeah. Monkeys that were about to yield tended to look to the side of the screen where their car was about to veer off, information that could be exploited by their partner to avoid yielding if the other one's about to. If one monkey sees the other as looking at the swerve target, we think they're attributing intention to that, says Ong. When monkeys played against a computer rather than each other, more crashes occurred, suggesting that the monkeys do get useful information from the direction of their partner's gaze. That's where we get the phrase, monkey see, monkey do from, isn't it? That's exactly where it comes from. And also where monkey chicken comes from. (laughs) Which is that? It's my favorite dish. Yeah, <laughs> everyone loves monkey chicken. Did you know chicken ro- fried monkey? Is that what that is? Did you know Robot Chicken, the television show, mm-hmm. the animation, mm-hmm. got its name from a dish at a local Chinese restaurant? I did not know that. And I only know that because we sometimes order food on the sh- on the Jim Jeffrey show from that restaurant. And I saw Robot Chicken. I was like, that's weird to have that there. Oh. And then. Um, Jason uh, Reich, alum of the Probably Science podcast and head writer of the, yes. the Jim Jeffrey show, used to work on Robot Chicken and is like, yeah, that's where they got the name from. That's crazy. Ooh. It's like uh, a thing I'm not going to look up, but trust that it's true, but uh, about how that Paul Simon song, Mother and Child Reunion, is actually about a Chinese restaurant dish that was chicken with eggs. That's cool. That's supposed to be true. I'm listening. Oh, is that, I thought you were it. doing a bit there. But no, uh, no, no. That's supposed to be the actual reason, the huh. story behind that song. Anyway, okay. So monkeys playing chicken. I want to see chickens playing monkey. Um, so yeah, monkeys playing against computer, they crash more often, suggesting they do actually pay attention to what their chimp part or their monkey partner is doing. Um, Ong says the findings shed more light on macaques' abilities to make deductions about other individuals' mental states, known as theory of mind, a capacity that is most developed in humans. For theory of mind, it helps to be able to follow the gaze, says Ong. The team's findings were presented at the Society for Neuroscience meeting in Washington, D.C. this week. It's pretty cool. Thank you for sending that, Paul Steenbeek. And what, what is the theory of mind? Is that this- I guess just the awareness that someone besides you also has a mind? I'm not sure. Hold on. Um, Understanding another person's perspective and realizing that it can differ from our own okay. is known as the theory Which, of mind. Which, yeah, presumably a large proportion of this world don't actually (laughs) it underpins empathy communication and the ability to deceive all of which we take for granted although it's more developed in humans than it is in other animals we don't acquire it until around the age of four and how it develops is a mystery Mm -hmm. um oh so this is the um you can test for it using the false belief test and i think this is also something they used to test uh for autism spectrum conditions in kids uh they use similar tests like i heard it with pencils and uh a Pringle tube, I think. But um, in which two children are shown playing, one puts a toy under the bed and leaves the room. The second then removes it and puts it in the toy box. On returning, where will the older child look for the toy? So those under the age of four choose the box while the other children correctly say un- under the bed. Wait, wait. The, the one who leaves the room is told that the next child is going to move it? No. So they, they, no. no, they watch they watch this video play out. So they, they, watch, this, they watch this scene play out so they watch the situation where child A puts the toy in one place, then child B moves it to another place. And then you ask the test subject, where, is child, where does child A think the toy is? Oh, and you, ol- the, you, okay. And older, Not where do you think it is. Yeah. Where do you think this child thinks it yeah, is? Yeah, and older kids or kids that have developed the theory of mind, that have developed to this point will go, 
oh, well, the older kid will still think it's under the bed. Whereas younger kids who haven't got to that level of development... I know this, development, therefore will, everyone knows this. Exactly. That, the older kid will go, well, they'll look in the toy box because they haven't yet appreciated that kid A doesn't know doesn't, doesn't yet know the stuff that kid b knows right. and that's where the radiohead kind of kid a yeah <laughs> that's exactly where it comes. It specifically this my description, description. Just, <laughs> I, I, yeah i remember that interview where tom york was like in about 15 years time someone on a podcast i'll explain podcast in a second <laughs> is going to describe a psychology experiment that explains the theory of mind if you play national anthem, anthem backwards you can actually hear a description of that experiment yeah they are, <laughs> People don't give Radiohead enough credit for how ahead right? of their time they really yeah. were. <laughs> it's all bleeps and bloops and shit. Nope. Very funny. Uh, hey, Chris. Yeah. Where can our listeners see you and all your comedian and rapping and um, whatnot? On the Facebook, uh, Chris Turner. That'll come up. Chris Turner doing that. Um, live in Los Angeles, isn't it? You're um, out here now. I am, yeah. Edinburgh Festival every year. Nice. All that stuff, Instagram, just yeah, Chris Turner. It's 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 a common name, but it's not a common name for comedians. So if you search Chris, Chris Turner and put comedian, we'll put links if up. If you as put we Chris Turner well. comedian, it might change it to Chris Tucker comedian. I was going to say that's the closest. Uh, <laughs> did you mean yeah, yeah. there was a point in my life where that stopped, and then he did a Netflix special? Uh, the, the bane of my. Oh, existence. where people were like, no, Chris Tucker's a movie actor. He's not a comedian. Well, there you go. And yeah, then he's yeah. back to ruined it. Ruined God it. damn, Chris Tucker. And all your movie stars going back to the stage, taking away hot work from us, bumping us at clubs. It's not fair, is it? No. Have you got any similar name people? No, not really. There is a comedian called Matt Kirsch. That's the... Who I've met once. Um, So that is, like, exactly my name minus two letters. So he's probably just as pissed off about me. Did you mean... Is he from England as well? No, he's international comedy gigs, they would would advertise him as Matt Kirsch, brackets E. Yeah. (laughs) I've, there's an Andy Woodhull who has more and better TV credits than I do, which is a bummer. But he's a great guy. We're, we're, we're friends. We're acquaintances. When I started comedy, there was a guy who started about a year later called Chris Turner. And he was like right in the southwest of England, like really far, like Exeter or somewhere. This is so far away from anywhere. Yeah. And um, I was like, hey, I'm already gigging as Chris Turner. You should probably choose a different name. And he was like, I don't think it'd be a problem. <laughs> I was like, fuck you. I intend on doing stuff. It's a race now. And then eventually he quit comedy. Because no, um, so, he yeah. just couldn't. Because you kept showing up to all his bookings. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a guy who has my email address. Minus one letter. Right. Um, like, I'm Chris PJ, and he's Chris J. And so he gets emails for me sometimes, and he sends them to me. But then I got one that got sent to him. My friend was like, hey, I realized you didn't reply to this. I sent it to you. And he hadn't forwarded it. And the email was a really rude email. Like, it was this guy just going, hey, great to chat to you tonight. And then he listed all the things we'd spoken about. We were really drunk, and we were talking about some really fucked up stuff. <laughs> and I was like, oh, he's, like, morality filtering my emails. <laughs> Wow! Yeah. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, though, Chris J. That I think there there was an Israeli lecturer with my name as well, but I've I've sort of pushed him came off. Up earlier in the podcast, like I, early years of the podcast, it has, yeah. and I've pushed him off Google. And I have a there's a Tom Jones impersonator named Andy Wood. There's a I, I say there's a lot of Andy there's Woods. A lot of Andy Woods. Yeah. It's a very I mean, common lead singer by the Love Bone. There's a bunch. Oh yeah. I'm not, I'm not very search engine optimized by nature. Yeah. Although okay. Google's pretty freaking clever. Like Google, if you put in a couple of, like I always tell people, 
uh, if I'm on a radio show, whatever, like, how do you find me? I just got, like, if you just put English comedian Matt K.I. and then bang the keyboards, like, Google finds me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I well, have... That's a, a testament to the fact that you've done a lot of stuff. Also, but I also but, have, yeah. but also I have a very, I have a relatively unusual name and Google is very accurate about things. Yeah. But yeah, if you didn't have the K, uh, I was looking through the spreadsheet of everyone who's done Bridgetown and Matt is the most common comedian name. There's at least, a lot of comedy Matt. <laughs> in terms of our taste. I don't know why, because Matt, Matt is a fairly popular name. It's a very, it's a, it's a rel- it's always on the charts of yeah. like most popular kids' names, but it's never at the top. Like there's normally like a Paul is normally yeah, higher, a, John and Jack are normally good, higher. It's a good journeyman. Like Caleb has been having yeah. a moment, hasn't it? Well, has, those kind of, or Jacob. Jacob's had a moment the last 20 yeah, years. Yeah, but that, that's sort of come and gone. Like there's always, yeah. Matt's always been there, but John's always been there. Paul's always been there. Mm. Chris is a pretty Chris, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of Andy, Chris's around my Andrew age. and Chris are pretty evergreen. Yeah, late 80s, early 90s, Chris is popular. Um, in the UK, Tom's a super common one. Like there's the show in Edinburgh, Tom Foolery, which is a show that runs every day and only books acts called Tom. <laughs> and that gets by really well. Like, they, they are full of acts all the time. Like it's hard to get on that show, even if you are Tom. Yeah, I like looking through the list in the US. They have the top three baby names for the last hundred years of both genders and just seeing how long of a dynasty there was for like Emily I think had like a 30 year run or Mary in the early two, early 1900s and Berto had a good had a good like two years so names then, work on a hundred year cycle that's an anthropology thing they oh, did really? study in Paris names cycle around every hundred years and there's oh. nothing that determines it well um, I was gonna say something has determined in the last 10 years because that fucking Twilight series caused Isabella to be the number one name for a while, which is a direct. I mean, that's definitely. What yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's. Oh, uh, every the prince, prince and princess's name. Like there was a lot of Williams and Harrys. Oh really? In the UK, after princes William and Harry, and now I'm sure there's. I, th- I know there's a lot of Kates now, yeah. and what are the what are their kids called again? There's George. George. That, and, there's a lot of Georges. Um, Charlotte. Yeah, there's a lot of Georges and Charlottes. I've I've got my future baby name saved up, and I'm never I'm not ever going to tell anyone because I've got it. And if it ever becomes popular, I'm going to be so upset. And I'm there are names at the moment approaching it, and it's really scaring me that it's going to become cool and trendy now. Is it Macklemore? (laughs) Fuck you, man! (laughs) Um, No, the like the baby names at the moment. I remember looking at the list, and uh, I mean I, I might be remembering things wrong, but like. There's, some of them are just absolute shit. Like they're so bad, and like some of them, are, uh, like some of the list. Re- but look at these for boys' names. Like, the, how is the second most popular name Noah? How is <laughs> yeah, that? The, yeah, and then third is Logan. <sighs> what? I mean, yeah, not to mock, not to belittle the. I think there's those are solid. They're good. They're names. solid. One in every school year name. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. you don't want two Logans. <laughs> Number in your five, class. Mason. Who wants? Yeah, so many Masons. One Mason a year. Again. Exactly. Like one, maybe two. Maybe two. So there's like big that Mason and weird, little Mason. Yeah, it has an actual meaning too. It's like a strange... It has a couple of meanings. What's the second meaning? Well, it can be an adjective qualifying things like jar. Oh, or the and then like the person the, who, who makes the jars and yeah, things like things that. Yeah, makes things out of stone. Yeah. It's just, I guess I mean, those are connected meanings. It basically well, actually, no, jars are glass. They're not masonry. I guess you can have... Like, Mason jars aren't made of masonry. This has been Mason talk, <laughs> right? Am I wrong? We, we've got to wind Mason this up. jars are not made of. Why not write to us That's with strange. your most obscure name stories? Follow Chris on the internet. Yes. Subscribe if you're not already subscribing. Tweet about us. Facebook about us. Um, donate to us through the Squarespace PowerProbablyScience.com website if you are so inclined. We always appreciate that. And don't forget to visit HelloFresh.com and use the code Probably Thirty for thirty dollars off. It's pretty easy to cook some order. good stuff. I recommend it. Give it a go. Yep. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.